21st Century Women on HCR 104FM and Cambridge 105. In this edition of 21st Century Women, we will meet Livia Turner, a 13-year-old budding author who's just won the 10 to 13 category of Radio 2's 500 Words competition, beating 132,000 entries. We'll hear about uh, Nikita Harry, who's been named as one of the UK's top 50 women in engineering. The Cambridge University Doctorate Scholar talks about the expectations of her upbringing in India and how she wants to encourage girls in a similar position. She also tells us of her project which will help educate slum dwellers in India. And you remember Jo Burrows? We met her last month when she was planning a trek across Iceland. Well, she's back and tells Bobby Jones all about the trip. That's all coming up on this edition of 21st Century Women. Well, hello, Bobby. How are you this evening? I'm very well, thank you, Linda. It's just you and I this evening, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think we'll manage. We'll oh. hold the fort valiantly, and I'm sure Liz will be back with us next month. She will indeed. <laughs> well, coming up on the show, as I've already said, lots of really good stuff. You've been busy with your microphone, haven't you, out there interviewing people? I try. You do? <laughs> well, let's get cracking then before we run out of time completely. This year, close to 132,000 children entered the BBC Radio 2 500 Words competition. At the finale in June, live from the Tower of London, the winners were announced. One of those winners was Livia Turner from God Manchester, who won the 10 to 13 age group category. The Tower of London was packed with celebrities, including Sir Derek Jacobi, Jenny Agutter and David Williams. Livia tells Bobby Jones about writing her story and how it felt to be the winner. You're also here at the end, her story read out by Tony Barnfield. Today with me in the studio, I have got a young lady called Livia Turner and she is a very young authoress. And I think that maybe it could be an ambition of yours to be an author. It is, yes, yeah. Something very special has happened to you very recently. Tell me about it. Well, I entered a story into the BBC Radio 2 500 Words competition and it won a gold medal. Wow, now that is really quite special. What was the criteria around what you had to write? So I had to write a story that was limited to just 500 words. And I decided to do a backstory to a fairy tale via letters. So the fairy tale I picked was Little Red Riding Hood. And I decided to show the big bad wolf's side of the story, just so sort of sided with him more than you would Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, well, that's pretty unique. And how did you feel about eating Red Riding Hood? <laughs> I think, to be honest, I think Little Red Riding Hood probably deserved it. Oh, poor Red Riding Hood. OK, well, that's a different slant on it, isn't it? So you had to do all this in 500 words. Now, just how easy or how difficult was that? Well, at first it was pretty difficult because I planned it all in one evening and then the next evening I wrote it all. But I decided that I'd have to scrap half of it. I just scrapped all of Little Red Running Hood's letters because um, the language in both the letters was kind of the same and it took so much more words than it needed to. So I, I scrapped all of Little Red Running Hood's letters and replaced them with something that was much shorter, that made it more cocky and it just made it more funny as well. Ah, so it was a funny piece. How long was it after you'd 
entered your submission before you heard that you had been shortlisted for the prize. Yeah, we wrote it in December, and it. So um, you, then, you, so yeah. it was December, and then you had to wait through until April yeah. before you heard. Yeah. And how did you hear? Was it an email, a letter, yeah. a phone call? Yeah, we got a very surprising email. A <laughs> surprising email. <laughs> And it came to you? Yes. And what was your reaction when you first read it? Wow. I got <laughs> sure this did. That's brilliant. <laughs> and what did it say to you? What did the email actually say? Oh, it said, congratulations, you've been shortlisted. Right. The story was great. So you were shortlisted. Out of how many people had you been shortlisted? 132,000. No. <laughs> 132,000. <000. laughs> Good heavens. <laughs> what was the shortlist? How many people? There were 25 people in my age group and there were 50 altogether because there was two age groups. Good heavens. That Just being shortlisted was a major triumph. Yes, yeah. Gosh. So what happened then? We were whittled down a bit more and then taken to the final level. Sort of right. <laughs> so how many people in the final level? 25. 25. That's still quite a number, isn't uh -huh. it? Yeah. But out of that enormous number that you started with from mm -hmm. all over the country. Yeah. That is absolutely amazing. And your particular group was an age group. What, which age group was that? It was the 10 to 13. 10 to 13? Uh-huh. And dare I ask, how old are you? I'm 13. So 13 so you're <laughs> in the top of that uh -huh. but out of 25 <laughs> yeah. when did you know that you were going to win only when they announced it it was, it was a complete surprise so yeah. all 25 of the uh -huh. finalists were there waiting to see whether they had won yeah oh <laughs> gosh that must yeah. have been nail biting and it was where did you go for the awards ceremony we went to the tower of london the tower of london yeah. Well, that's, that's quite something in itself, isn't uh -huh, it? It is, yeah. <laughs> was it a, a whole day that you had to wait? We started off, it was a very early morning. We had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to get down there, which is crazy. And then um, and then we, it was all finished by lunchtime. So it was like nothing had happened. <laughs> it was like it had oh, never happened. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so you started off from here, from God Manchester. Now, we, um, the night before, we came from God Manchester to um, to London. We stayed in a hotel overnight. Oh, a special treat. Yeah. But yes, it was a very special thing. Yes. Gosh, I can't imagine how you felt when it was read out. How did they, did they do the third, the second and the first? Oh, they did? Yes, they did, oh. yeah. <laughs> so when you didn't get the third, how did you feel? They read all the stories out and I thought, oh, mine isn't as good as these. <laughs> mine isn't as good as these ones, so I can't possibly have got any of the prizes. So they, they read out the third one and mm -hmm. the third one was clapped and got uh -huh. her prize. Yeah. And then they read out the second one and uh -huh. that wasn't you either yeah. how did you feel about that i was i was kind of like i don't think i'm gonna win it but that's okay it's, i was kind of thinking that it's just it's fun to be here and it's good to have been shortlisted and yeah and then it came to this is the first prize a person that has won has won the prize which was 500 books, I understand, for the school. Is that right? Uh -huh. Because it was 500 words. Yes. So you yeah. get one book for every word. Uh -huh. That sounds very <laughs> fair to me. <laughs> and then they read out your name. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> it was... I didn't know if I should cry or faint or what, but I didn't do either, which was good. So what did you do? I didn't really know what to think or what to say. I was really speechless. 
Livia's mum is here with me too. Tell me, how did you feel when it came to Livia's name being read out and said she'd won? It was an absolute shock. We stared at each other, which seemed for about a minute, just mouths open. And... um, and, but then everyone started clapping and then I realised Livia was going to have to get up and um, this guy was coming towards her with a microphone and she would have to stand up and, and but she just got on and got on with it and they asked her questions and it was funny because beforehand um, they'd kind of given us a bit of a warning you know if, if someone comes to you with a microphone you have to be ready to say something we can't have radio silence here so you have to be ready with something to say and we were so stunned that Livia had won really so when they came with the microphone Livia Blessed just stood up and um, and was ready to talk she was ready to talk and they'd already warned her there were ten and a half million people listening but she wasn't phased at all she got up and did it so I was super proud so proud of her so this actually happened live it was live on the Chris Evans breakfast show yes and then it was read out the story was read out so Livia was announced as the winner and she had to stand up and say something and then she was allowed to sit down and David Williams read the story out for her at which point we were trying to kind of catch our breath and it just seemed very surreal I have to say it was very very surreal but he did such an amazing job he of did reading yeah it. it was brilliant that sounds absolutely amazing yeah it was brilliant <laughs> it was just so surreal it's like like you said yeah what did you say to the guy approaching you with a mic um, well, he wanted to know how I how I planned it, and I just said that I planned it with hundreds of post-it notes, and sort of each post-it note was like a different idea and a different reaction or response to the previous post-it note. I just stuck them all over the kitchen. And once this had happened and everybody had heard it by then on the radio, what was it like when you came home and you went back to school? What did they all say? Um, well, there was an assembly, and there was a lot of congratulations from people I'd never talked to before so that was that was nice <laughs> oh I'm sure and I'm sure that the school is really really proud of you oh, they are, have yeah. the books arrived yet um I'm not sure I haven't had any word about it yet but I guess they'll arrive soon so what were you presented with I was given uh, the gold medal and um <laughs> two signed books from David Williams my a special book with all the winning stories in it and um, 88 books. That yeah. was a tremendous prize. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually being able to talk to him and shake his yes, hand. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> Well done you. And so is this perhaps the beginning of your career? I hope it is, yeah. I hope it's so you, you re- that is something that you really want to do oh, w- yes, when, you, when yeah. you finish school. You've got a long way to go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but gosh isn't that amazing uh-huh. well thank you so much for coming into the studio and telling us all about it oh, and we will have your story coming up dear miss welcome to the woods We hope you enjoy living in this picturesque log cabin that the animals have graciously donated to you. The woods are certainly colder than where you've come from. I'd like you to accept this red hood and basket of seeds and foodstuff. Your cabin is as close to your grandma as we could find possible, as we know she is the reason you moved. I am certain you will adore the woods. The animals that live here are all pleasant folk, and the scenery could be straight from a fairy tale. Wishing you a delightful day, Mr. Wolf, Mayor.
Mr. Wolf, yeah, thanks for the cabin, though it's not the biggest house I've ever seen. Shame you didn't put us any closer to Grandma. Dear Miss Hood, I hope you love the woods as much as I do. A friendly reminder, please don't pick the wild flowers. They're grown in specific order. My teams of birds are experts in the botanical business, and they ensure the woods look perfect. If you pick any flower, it ruins the pattern. Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, I like much more space, so here's your keys back. BTW, we will be clearing some ground so we can build my pool. Miss Hood, I implore you not to slay any further trees. A pool is not a necessity, whereas the trees are important to the well-being of the woods. If one is felled, there are disastrous consequences. Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, since when were you the boss of me? Miss Hood, the squirrels tell me you've been shooting at them. All these complaints are taking up too much of my time and my job has become considerably more stressful. Please try not to make the same mistakes again. Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. Squirrels are liars. Grandma says they were rubbish neighbours anyway. Miss Hood, what a big appetite you have. Do not kill the animals. It is strictly forbidden. I admit to being able to understand about the pheasants, but the rabbits pushed it too far. When you continue to murder and devour the deer, you make yourself quite a reputation. Now the boars are vanishing. Animals are queuing up outside my office to tell me they are scared. You are making my job very hard. The system in the woods is surprisingly fragile, and it's up to me to stop it falling into chaos. Don't make me ask you to leave, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, we'd like to see you try. Miss Hood, what a sickening fur coat you wore this morning, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Wolf, all the better to keep me warm. Stop stalking me on my journeys to Grandma. It's v-annoying. P.S. The coat didn't look good on the old owner anyway. Miss Riding Hood, mark my words, you will not bruise my honour without punishment. Mr. Wolf. That was Tony Barnfield reading Livia Turner's story, entitled Mr. B.B. Wolf versus Miss R.R. Hood. Evidence for the courts. What a fabulous story. Well done, Livia. Indeed. Wasn't it great? I loved that. And how exciting is that? I mean, the 500-word competition, you know, most parents know about it because lots and lots of kids go in for it. Um, It's run by the Chris Evans Breakfast Show on Radio 2. As as you heard, 132, I think it was 132,000 entries um, for just for two categories, as far as I remember. Yes, um, so right. the younger ones and the slightly and the, older yeah, ones. Uh, right. It goes up to 13, stops there. After 13, you can't um, you enough. can't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have this big kind of grand grand final um, thing. Packed with celebrities. I think there was an HRH there as well. You oh, know, it was, was just, there. yeah, mm. just amazing. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, for for a local girl, Livia's from Good Manchester, I think. She is, yeah. For a local girl to be shortlisted, we we should all be extremely proud of her. Yes, well, I I was certainly very impressed with her when I met her in, in the studio. I'd not met her before, and it was just so such a delight to talk to her. Yeah. She she's a a young lady that really knows what she wants to do in life, and I wish her a great deal of luck with becoming an author. Yeah, me too. She sounds she sounds lovely. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's absolutely fam- fabulous. And I just loved that story. I just sat there and giggled all the way through. You did. <laughs> you, you giggled all the way through it again tonight. <laughs> coming, coming up shortly, we're going to be uh, hearing from Nikita Harry. She has been named as one of the top 50 women in engineering by a Telegraph initiative uh, recently. That was just a few weeks ago. We'll, uh, we'll also be catching up with Joe Burrows, who I don't know if you remember last month, she did the Mum's Trek to Iceland, told us all about it then. Well, she has done it and she is back and we're going to hear from her as well. Across Cambridgeshire, 21st Century Women on Cambridge 105 and HCR 104 FM. Nikita Harry has been named as one of the top 50 women in engineering by the Telegraph Initiative backed up by the Women's Engineering Society. Nikita is currently doing a doctorate at the Cambridge University and is already involved in startup initiatives, one of which aims to try and improve the career prospects of the poor in India. Nikita told her story to Linda Ness. joined by Nikita Harry. Nikita is doing a PhD at Cambridge University. She was told when she was at school and when she was at university in India, she'd never get into Oxbridge, but here she is. Welcome to 21st Century Women, Nikita. Thank you very much, Linda. It's my pleasure to be here. So tell me, they told you that you couldn't do it and here you are. I think this is absolutely brilliant. Tell us your story. I was really good in academia and I did manage to balance my extracurricular activities as well. I was a school leader, I was a magazine editor and stuff like that and I was at the top of my class. Things worked out really well till I was in my A-levels and then by the time you are 30 or 14, slowly everything revolves around a marriage all of a sudden in in the community or from the conservative uh, background that, you know, I was uh, uh, brought up in. So people start to talk about your career choices or your higher educational choices depending upon who you should be marrying and how that should all align together. So even though I was like, you know, at the top of the class or did really well at whatever I was doing, I was really ambitious from where I come from. So I was being told that I could never do it because because of being a girl at that point of time and it was not girls were not meant to be that ambitious we are not supposed to pursue what we loved or what we were passionate about it was more about aligning everything and compromising everything for setting up a family and you know choosing a profession where people thought that you can balance your kids and your husband So that was the main reason. And how did that make you feel? I'm someone who doesn't like to be challenged and told uh, that you cannot do certain stuff. First of all, it it brings some something in me gets triggered and I'm like, why not? You know, like I want to try it. If someone tells me a no, even if I didn't have that much interest in the beginning, I would be like, you know, keen to try it out. That is when it clicked uh, me that 
okay, people should not tell me what I should be doing because I am a woman. And for me, the biggest motivation and inspiration in my life was to see my mom. She was really good at her academia. She did her uh, graduation in botany. She was a botanist. We had a beautiful garden. She was a florist. She was a painter, but she never could pursue what she wanted to. Do you think she regretted that? She she definitely regretted that, and I could see that every single day, right? So I have grown up seeing what compromises and sacrifices has done to her mentally. So I kind of knew that not everyone is happy about uh, the choices uh, that they have been forced to make so mm-hmm. when i had to choose certain stuff it was always there in my head that i had to make the right decisions and there is nothing like sacrificing for family and compromising for your parents uh, you know considering the culture i am from did she encourage you in this Uh yes uh so it was a diffi- it was difficult to begin with because when i was 15 though i knew all these stuffs i was a kid i was still treated as a kid and it was very difficult for me to make my point across so my mother wouldn't understand my you know she was too scared to question my father or the conventions the society and all that but as years passed by so i completed my undergraduate i was a gold medalist i did very well there then i went on to do my post graduation and from there on i can say that my mother and i have forged all our dreams together because she could see where you know maybe my passion to do stuff and everything was coming from she probably saw herself in me yes. and yes so i can say that now when i'm sitting here it's it's her uh, sitting along with me so i can really feel that we have um, taken this journey together oh that's really nice and she she must really be enjoying your success she was telling me so last uh, month i you know on the occasion of international women in engineering day i was selected as a top 50 women engineers in the UK and so i was on cambridge website my stories were all over the place uh, so since i was the only indian citizen it was a big news in india and she was telling me how she would read the same article over and over again <laughs> and i was like mom you read it yesterday and she was like oh no i i i wanted to read it today as well so i had like a full sheet article which came in one of the papers and she would just collect everything file everything like make collages uh, read it over and over because that's the first time i was very frank about my story because you don't want to talk about family stuffs yeah. generally so yeah yeah but yeah. then now i've realized that when you don't talk about things when you hide certain things people who look at you think oh she had everything and that is why she is where she is so to be able to tell to those young girls who have similar problems like me i uh, thought i should make my point very clear i should be able to articulate my story in an open way so that they benefit from from yeah, they, learn from it yes exactly. and so, think they can do it too no i think that's absolutely brilliant yeah. So not only did you defy I guess the convention of your own culture you chose engineering which of course is a, a dominated by men was it an, an area that particularly interested you so as a child i was totally in love with physics and uh, mathematics was a good friend of mine i would say so engineering came as an obvious choice to me i had no doubts of choosing between medicine and engineering it was like a clear cut choice uh, that i was going to do this since my father runs a small factory manufacturing electrical switches and he was himself a graduate in physics 
I think probably that is somewhere, you know, in my blood. Though that is not exactly what I wanted to do because he was doing right. It it was like a clear choice to me. But I was always this kid who would fiddle with uh, these electrical equipments, and I think as a kid, the the intrigue, the fascination, and excitement that the shock which I cannot see gave me. always attracted me to electrical engineering so when i had to choose my specialization i was like it is going to be electrical and so i went on to do my undergraduate my post graduation and now pursuing my phd in electrical engineering i can attest to the fact that electric power knows no gender so science knows absolutely <laughs> that's a great no way of putting it isn't it <laughs> <laughs> what happens from here when you finish your PhD? Do you go back to India? Is that is that something that you've considered? I have two social tech startups uh, that I it's it's mostly based in India. So one is called Fawali, which I co-founded with three of my uh, PhD um, friends, Paolo, Martin, and Stefano, and its mission is to engage, train, and match marginalized youth in slums to coding jobs. Wow. So that is going to get piloted and up and running after my PhD because it's a lot of time that is required. And the other one is called Woody, which I co-founded along with my brother, and it aims to provide uh, artificial intelligence-based products for schools and businesses. Mm-hmm. So our main product is something called Edu Woody, which we aim to transform the educational space in India. So Woody derives meaningful data and correlations using AI driven modules to find and focus on particular skill development of a student. So in essence what we are trying to do is to come up with a system that will help the schools and educators teachers and parents to understand the innate skills of a student so that it can be nurtured in the right direction so all we are trying to do is to tell the educational system that a poet should be measured for his literary skills rather than his or her skills in geometry mm-hmm. so we are building a platform that will enable the schools and teachers to and students to understand what their uh, actual interest and aptitude are so that we can nurture it so not we they can nurture it in the right direction because at the end of the day in india parents force the kids to either take up engineering medicine or management <laughs> so what we want to change is this um, you know societal pressure at the end of the day so that every kid has a right to choose what you know they would want to and what they love and how does your father feel about what you're doing now is he bought into the whole thing and really really happy about it Yeah so um my father is himself an entrepreneur and I've never seen myself as an entrepreneur I've seen myself more into academia and as a researcher so I would describe myself as a scientist by profession but a social tech entrepreneur by passion so I accidentally happened to you know like start these companies and then I realized okay I really loved doing this so my father I mean he is part of Woody is the one who invested in it to begin with my brother runs it it's Woody is actually the brainchild of my brother Arjun he's the CEO and yeah now we are working together as a family the telegraph run the 50 top women in engineering in the UK tell us all about that uh, women in engineering society telegraph uh, supported by UNESCO came up with this initiative to recognize and celebrate the achievements of women engineers considering the tragically low 9% ratio in the UK so that 
they can inspire more and more young girls um, into this field by showcasing the achievements of these uh, women. So last year they came up with fifty uh, women uh, engineers from across uh, ages who had unrivaled and unparalleled accomplishments and representing the Department of Engineering was Professor Anne Dowling, like the legendary Anne Dowling, wow. I would call her. <laughs> so this year, they decided to focus on women engineers under 35, as they called it as a rising female stars. And their criteria was to look for people who has a shattered glass ceilings and created something groundbreaking or uh, innovative in their fields and excelled in their chosen careers, as well as worked closely with educators to support and promote women in engineering. So they had chosen us top 50 from amongst uh, 500 plus nominations. Wow. So yeah, that is how I ended up uh, being in the list. That's and, a real uh, achievement, actually, isn't it? Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity, and I think a uh, responsibility. And as well as when I first heard about it, I was like, I was very overwhelmed uh, and honored to be representing Cambridge, to be representing those unrecognized and unheard voices of women who had dared to dream to engineer the world. Well, I hope you dare to dream for many, many more years. <laughs> Nikita Harry, thank you very much for talking thank to you. us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you. Thank you. And that was a fascinating story of Nikita Harry, who's just been named as one of the top 50 women in UK engineering. The music was Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. She was lovely, Bobby, to interview. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very, very forthcoming and uh, and lovely, lovely person. Very, obviously, very, very bright. Oh, yes. Um, doing really interesting stuff. I love that project that she's doing to help the slum children in India. Yes. You know, make make lives for themselves. You know, she was saying because everything's going online, everything's digital mm. and they're going to get left behind. Yes, unless, they are. you know, unless yeah. they are educated in that and, and can get out, get out there and get jobs, get work. That's right. I mean, it's very much against the culture, too, out there that that women are out in front doing things. And it, it's great that she is if you like, taking the light forward for mm-hmm. people. Yes, yes. It, it actually surprised me that it was still that way because I thought yes. things had moved on a bit. But I guess it depends on your family. It depends yes. on lots of circumstances. I'm sure it does. But uh, but yeah, really interesting. She, she's also, um, as she said, she has a start-up um, They're working on a project that sounds very interesting, and that is taking a piece of software into schools Mm. in order to try and ascertain the interests and and the you know what people are really good at uh, Mm. for you know kids, and it it this software is supposed to do this is that they're building it at the moment. That sounds very very interesting as well because it will help guide teachers and children and parents into you know what what's best and best well, it's suited something for that them. we can do with here really oh, we, isn't absolutely it? oh yeah this is I, I, I would say this is not just for India this is for anywhere absolutely yeah yes I mean 
women here that we still don't go in, into engineering and that side of things. So to no, be, no, if we it's picked up early and interest in, in that kind of thing, it's much better. Yes. You can train it and educate it. And I think she was saying that 7% or something like that of, of women are going into engineers. So Is that as, all? Yes. Out of, out of all small, the engineers. It's about it? So it's really, really low. And yeah, for some reason, a bit like IT, it just doesn't seem mm. to excite girls, which I think is a shame. Do, do you think that, that girls these days still want to go into the, the nursing profession or they're quite happily to be a... a I don't know. I don't know. typist or something? I have no idea. But um, I, I would have thought not, you know. Yeah. But they do say, even yet, that uh, certainly in IT, which is the area that I work in, that it is quite difficult to get girls interested in it, get them engaged in it, and get them going off and wanting to train in it. I'm really surprised. I mean, you see these youngsters these days, they're, they're on their mobile phones all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's but, IT. But I, yes, but of course, doing IT as a, as ah, a profession yes. is yeah, a very, very different, different thing. Mm. Coding and all the rest of it so yeah interesting so that was uh, that was Nikita Harry very very interesting coming up shortly we have Jo Burrows we spoke to her last month about her Icelandic trip her trek and she's come back to tell us all about it across Cambridgeshire 21st century women on Cambridge 105 and HCR 104 FM so how's your garden faring then Bobby well it's not looking bad actually i'm a bit of a a petunia fan Mm -hmm. and i love my beautiful colors of my petunias and i've got an awful lot of them out there at the moment pinks and purples and whites and it looks fantastic well a few weeks ago my garden was as drab as they come and i decided to get lots of plants and i put them all in pots with with fresh earth Mm. you know Mm. Um, and it's looking really really nice now very very colorful Mm. Um, but the only thing that's kind of letting it down is the massive grapevine which is completely out of control. So last night I hacked into the aforesaid grapevine and I filled up my um, my green wheelie bin full of well grapes and uh, vine and I just I really really had to hack it back. I bought it a few years ago as this tiny little thing that was about you know about six inches high and I thought hmm this will probably never survive and it's just massive. Well, I don't know how you did that. I mean, I brought a vine with me when I moved up from London five years ago, and it still can't be much more than two foot high. Really? It won't do anything. Oh, I, don't, I don't think it's very happy where I've put it. It's in a little bit of a wind tunnel where ah. I've got it, and it doesn't seem to be at all happy. In fact, the first couple of years, I did have some grapes, but since then, I've not had anything. Oh, I've got more grapes than I know what to do. I could open a wine shop. Ooh. But they're not nice to eat, oh. you know, but I, I just don't do anything with them. It's such a waste, really. Yeah, it certainly is. You can make great wine with that. I suppose you could. <laughs> Take your socks off. If only off I had the get time. Get, get your socks <laughs> off. But yeah, so there's the um, the vine yes. that's taking over the garden. But it's going straight over the pergola and straight into our neighbour's garden. I only realised that last night when I looked at it from a different angle. So I hacked away at it because they're, they're quite tidy and neat, my neighbours, and uh, I don't want to annoy them. With I don't my know when the right time is to hack it. Your vines. I think I've hacked at it at the wrong time. I'm sure you have. Yeah, I hope I haven't killed it. One extreme to the other. You won't. You won't have killed it. Well, if you would like some bindweed, I'm your person. No, I don't want bindweed. You can't get rid of it. It's horrible. Yes, I know. (laughs) That's the problem. That's why I'm trying to flog it off to other people. (laughs) 
I, I have great fun with my, my grass. I, I can't call it a lawn because it definitely isn't a lawn. It's a bit of grass. Mm. But I am trying to rid it of its weeds and things. Me too. And I these days you have to buy stuff that you sprinkle. So it's powder. Now, I always used to have a bottle that you added to water. And then mm-hmm. you watered it, you know, from a watering can. And did that work? That did work. But now that we've got this, this stuff, this dust. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to work. And, and you can also trail where you've put it down because it kind of burns the grass. All right. How do cats fare with that, I wonder? Do you think it would kill them? I might get some. <laughs> <laughs> That's Lindsay Buckingham and Christine McVeigh in my world. Great tune, that is fabulous. Last month we featured the story of Joe Burrows, who'd been uh, through treatment for cancer and wanted to repay the fantastic support given to her by the Willow Charity by taking part in a trek in Iceland to raise funds. Bobby Jones caught up with Joe to find out how the trek went. Have a listen to this, it's a great story. I'm in the studio today with Joe Burrows, who, as our listeners will remember, was one of the three mums who set off to do a trek in Iceland for charity. You're back now. Yeah. How did it go? Well, it was absolutely amazing. It was uh, ridiculously hard, very hard, um, harder than I thought. And I, I guess the girls as well, I think they agree with that. But so worthwhile because the scenery, uh, just the total experience, meeting all the new people, everything was just absolutely brilliant. The first day when we arrived, you think you're just going to have a quick transfer from the airport to a campsite. No, that was about a five-hour bus ride on a bone shaker of a bus, we called it, um, which just seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. Then we arrived. um, We were setting up camp. We had to put our own tents up. Are you good at putting tents up? I'm now. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really paying attention to start with. I'd just been on the bus for five hours. But... um, yeah, so we weren't eating our dinner till like 10 o'clock at night. Obviously, it didn't get dark, so we had to get used to the fact that it was um, the midnight sun. On a poor night's sleep, just getting used to the fact that it was still light, and we were all three of us in a tent on the floor. We then had to get up quickly, pack everything away, get our bags ready, and then we were off for a 25k walk. And then it was a bit of a shock, because it's straight uphill, up, up the side of a mountain. Almost immediately, you could see um, the volcanic steam coming out of the rocks. And it was just like nothing I've ever seen before. It's really, really bizarre. I feel like you're on a Star Trek. Throughout that day, we encountered so many different things. But the worst part for me was walking through the snow and the ice fields. So outstandingly beautiful. Mm. Um, Looking at the glaciers, there's no one around. But at one point, I think we've been walking for two hours on like thick melting ice. Already on the first day, I had my moment. (laughs) Oh, and you know that are you okay are you okay yeah I'm fine but it, I just thought there's no point in saying that I'm not because 
what they're going to do like you know what, what can you do no one's going to come and rescue me because I'm tired and I'm finding it a bit much so <laughs> yeah that that was uh you just you just have to sort so of that was give yourself a talking opener. to yeah mm. and think okay so in terms of the training and things you think you know you we've, we've got our bodies ready you think because we've done the peak district and we've done all the hills and things that you've you've got your head ready but it's it's not until you get there and and you something like that everybody had their own moment I call it but for me that was it that that very first day and then um so I think we had another two hours after that still oh, walking yeah. through the snow and the ice fields yeah. but again the scenery was just amazing so yeah so that that day was the hardest day that was like 25k the second day was probably the better day for me personally really enjoyed it again the scenery changes we did lots of river crossings oh yeah again up and down on the mountain sides and the rivers were flowing or were they yeah ice? the rivers were flowing it was running off of the glaciers so you'd, you'd encounter waterfalls and that would be the water that was running through beautiful yeah so the, the first couple of river crossings you know it was like rolling up your trousers then it was getting deeper taking your zip offs off um, and then towards the end, some of the team, the crew, and the other trekkers, they were just whipping their trousers off and going across in their pants, which was quite a sight. <laughs> Sometimes having to go across in threes. So just like doing little congas, walking sideways across the river. So, I mean, it, it, there were some sights there that... Uh, but you had that kind of a safety crew there all the time just in yeah, case something I mean, awful happened. We had a support crew. So we mm. had two people from England. One of them was a doctor. Oh, excellent. And um, the other the other guy that was leading the trek, he was a firefighter and he does this part time. So we felt quite safe. <laughs> and, that's that's uh, something, isn't yeah. it? And then mm. the girls that were actually leading the trek, they were two Spanish girls, but they do that Iceland trek quite often. And then there was another team doing the cooking of the food and then transporting you know, the tents and things from site to site. I mean, if we'd had to carry tents and all of our gear, I don't think I'd have been able to move. So, so yeah, so we did need that. Third day I got <laughs> up and I felt quite emotional. Um, I thought I didn't feel very well, but I think it was almost not, not so much anxiety, but just it hit me. We've just had a year of fundraising. We've been together a lot. You know, we've done two hard days of walking. And then at the end of that day, that was it you know it was going to be done so it was almost um not necessarily sad but just felt quite emotional and uh yeah so that morning again I think I had my second moment (laughs) Emma said will you stop crying (laughs) so uh but you don't you don't think you're going to feel like that and these sort of things they just kind of hit you out of nowhere but yeah just it has meant a huge deal to me personally you know, and thinking of the responsibility of the fundraising for the charity and things like that. So when it was all over and you knew that you'd done all your trekking, yeah. what was it like when you got back to civilization and a real bed? Yeah, it was very rushed because uh, we had to, again, get back on that bus. <laughs> And then we drove back to Reykjavik, um, where we checked into a, like a guest house, and we literally had an hour so to everybody to get ready and get into a restaurant because they'd booked us a, a fantastic meal in this restaurant. So didn't really get a chance to sort of soak it up at that point, apart from when we jumped into the shower, each of us took a turn with 
um, having our showers and that was probably the best shower I've ever had so and just walking in the room and just sitting down on a, a soft comfortable bed with a duvet and and also this is the best bit being able to close the blinds and the curtains at night so we actually had a dark room to sleep in yeah it was uh, it was great and then walking down to the restaurant you know we we're in a vibrant city it was a Saturday night and we went to the restaurant and it was this big seafood buffet with all sorts of different things that you could try oh that sounds yeah, wonderful very expensive though I'd just like to point out some of the ladies ordered a bottle of wine it was 45 pounds a bottle and uh, a glass of cider 10 pounds for a glass of cider so Iceland is not cheap <laughs> if you're right. thinking of going you know I'd definitely say go but I'd definitely say save up as well Joe, would you do it again definitely definitely <laughs> I know everybody said before I went when you come back you'll be wanting to do another one and I was like I won't I won't this has been a very tough year fundraising and challenging and training and everything else and yeah come so back you did and... achieve the money that you wanted how yeah. much was it so our target was we actually only had to raise 6,600 but we set a target of 10,000 pounds the night before we flew out we stayed in a hotel in Gatwick and we were posting pictures of us you know we're all excited there's our backpacks and all that sort of thing and people were quite getting into it you know through Facebook and um, Instagram and things and people were, were starting to sponsor us and we were getting really close to the £10,000. And then um, one particular lady put on um, £65 and so many pence uh, with a message that takes you to your £10,000. So that was just amazing. And that just shows how generous people are. Um, and to go to bed the night before we were flying out, knowing that we'd hit the £10,000, that was just you know, as good a feeling as completing the trek itself. And now we've since gone way over that as well. So with gift aid, we're now over £11,000. So charities are absolutely thrilled and like take the opportunity to say thank you for them and from us, you know, just for not only the money, but the words of encouragement, you know, little messages, the good luck, things that we were getting through the post, you know, cards and whatever. It really does mean a lot. It was great. That was Joe Burrows updating Bobby Jones about the trip to Iceland. That was a fascinating story, Bobby. Brilliant. Joe. well, all three of the ladies that did that must have been absolutely fantastic. They really were to do that. I, I couldn't even imagine myself going out there. And and they doing must have had trip. to be quite fit. I know they were doing some training uh, before they went out. They yeah, were, they did. Know, yes. But as they said themselves, they were doing the hills. But when you're in the Peak District, it's very different from being in Iceland. Yes. Which... It must be. Yeah. I mean, you're plodding across ice and you can hear it all cracking under your feet. And I suppose and another thing, and she didn't say this, but I'm kind of imagining if you're in a group, there's a bit of a pressure to keep up with the group. If it's three of you and you're all friends and one of you is flagging, you know, there's probably you can have a little bit of a breather and then move on. I'm kind of imagining maybe they had to keep going because you would feel like an idiot if you didn't. Maybe there's a bit of that as well. I'm sure that there must have been. I mean, she did say that they, it wasn't just the three of them. And the backup crew. Oh, no, no, there was a group of them. I I saw the photographs and and whatnot. Having said everything that she said, me, I'd be (laughs) be thinking, never again, you know. know. And I asked her, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, she wants to do it again. Yes. 
yes. yes. After having told us all the terrible things and how awful it was. And I can't remember, I don't think on that we heard much about the other girls, but I know that Tanya, by the end of that, they were told that sometimes they get something called Trekker's knee. But yes, Tanya was having problems with her knee on that very last day. And if you can imagine sort of limping home with it, mm-hmm. and gritting your teeth, I'm going to get there. It's, if, even if it kills me, I'm going to do mm-hmm. this. <gasps> Goodness, yeah. I mean, yes, uh, that, that makes it very harsh, doesn't yes, it? Very, very yes. hard. And they were talking about getting back to the hotel and how they had this wonderful meal and they only had an hour in between to get ready. And then when they got there and they had this wonderful meal, they were so tired. Mm-hmm. They really didn't get to enjoy it as they should have done. It should have been something really, really special, which it was, mm-hmm. but they didn't get to enjoy it. But isn't it strange? And, and it's the same when you watch these TV programmes about people being thrust into the outback, you know. And it, it's for maybe a couple of weeks, something like that. And they're going, oh, it's great to be back indoors. And it's great to be back in a bed. And they were saying exactly the same thing. I mean, they'd Mm. only been away three days. But it must really Mm. make you appreciate your home comforts, mustn't it, when you go away like that? Yeah, I mean, as I said to her, did did you enjoy sleeping in a real bed? And that wasn't the thing which she was really um, keen to tell me. It was the business about the midnight sun and Mm -hmm. how wonderful it was to shut it out. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't believe that. But you were telling me, that because you're Scottish and you come from up there, (laughs) that uh, this is what it's like in Scotland, in In, the very top of Scotland. In the far north of Scotland, my, my husband comes from Thurzo and when I've been up there if you're up there in the summer it is light virtually all night it goes to sort of dusk like a really dull day you know a bit like before a rainstorm if you like yeah it goes like that but it never actually gets dark but at 10 o'clock at night the sun can still be shining yeah. and 11 that, that you know it's weird That's well it's just where you are strange. in the world you know yeah. and, you, and I, I guess you get used to it and I think everyone has blackout blinds up there to compensate for that kind of thing and I'm sure they do in, in Iceland as well mm. um, and that's probably what she had she was able to shut the curtains it would be a blackout blind that would just keep the light out because you, got, yes. you do you do sleep better yeah, of course you do Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like night time when it's still daylight no that's right yes I mean yes I was just sort of thinking about that being a London now you know we we get lovely dark nights in London so I don't think I could sleep with the light on (laughs) so I'm expecting to hear her back in a year or two then setting off on another trek somewhere wild and wonderful we we shall see perhaps she will yeah but great amount of money raised for charity Mm. well done them check in today on the Facebook page which you can go to their target was 10,000 they've got 10,375 but the total raised including gift aid is £11,123.95p and I'm quite sure that they would be more than happy if you wanted to donate a bit. I'm more. sure they wouldn't turn you away. I'm sure they won't, <laughs> yes. So that's just uh, Google it and it comes up on Virgin Money, Mums Trek Iceland. Well I guess that's all we've got time for in this edition of 21st Century Women. Our thanks go to Livia Turner, Nikita Harry and Joe Burrows. If you're listening on HCR 104 FM, next up is The Country Show with John and Jackie Manders. And on Cambridge 105, it's Summer Saturday, hosted by Ian Dayborn. This show will be available as a podcast on iTunes and on Mixcloud. We'll be back in August. Until then, it's goodbye from Bobby Jones. Goodbye. 
And goodbye from me, Linda Ness. See you next time.